Riley Jackson died from botulism when she was just three and a half months old. Her mom donated her kidneys and heart so that Riley could help another baby live. The family of the heart recipient did a really amazing thing, and they sent us a picture of the little boy that has her heart along with a recording of an echocardiogram. And I think it's just amazing that they even thought to send that. And it's something really hard to explain emotionally to see your daughter's heart beating four years after she passed away. That's Autumn Tolley Jackson, a mother, a family donor member, an author, an organ transplant advocate, and a dedicated listener to this podcast. I'm Marian Shuck, your host for Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to sharing inspirational stories. We'll hear more from Autumn in just a moment, as well as several other people who shared their very personal stories with us during 2022. They are moving, sometimes tragic, but ultimately triumphant. All of the stories are important, so it was difficult to select the best moments from our podcast so far. These stories emphasize what we're trying to do here on Let's Talk Hope. Connect you, the listener, with some amazing people. Through their stories, they've left us all living with a little more hope. Loss is a fickle thing. It comes to all of us at some point in time, but the way in which it comes to us is different for everyone and so does how they experience it. I asked Autumn how she and her husband handled the loss of Riley Marie and how they put that into their advocacy. I think the experience for us was quite a bit different from a lot of other people because I had already at that point experienced so much loss in the last few years that I had already gone to the point where I'd talked to counselors, I talked to life coaches, I'd done a lot of reading and research about grief because I needed to figure out how to deal with it for myself and my family. And my husband, Kyle, was somebody who I had been acquainted to prior to my first husband passing away. But afterwards, we became pretty close because he became kind of my grief person. He had lost his dad a few years earlier, and he was around the same age. And he told me that it was okay to have all these feelings. It was okay to be mad at somebody who was just trying to help. And it was okay to just randomly start crying in the middle of the day. And so he was somebody who really understood that loss. And so when we were dealing with Riley, we knew how we each grieved, which is a really beneficial thing. And it seems a little bit silly to say it, but once you know how you grieve, when you know it's coming, because in the hospital, we were still very much in shock. So we weren't quite into that deep, acute grief, but we were able to talk about it and say, okay, this is what I do when I'm grieving. Sometimes I pull away. I might need a little more extra space. I have a tendency to blame myself for it. And then he kind of went through his list of what he does with grief. And we talked about how we were going to do it together. And we made packs, like no crying in the shower, no going somewhere and hiding from the other person when you're sad. If you're sad, we talk about it and we share that grief together. And so that was really a huge part of it because in a way we were able to plan. I mean, you can't plan grief, but we were able to make sure we each had the things that would support us the best through our grief available at the very beginning. You know, that's really good because as you've heard and you've listened to our podcast, we talk a lot about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Um, We talk, uh, you know, mostly to adults or we talk to recipients, but we 
are exploring pediatric organ, eye, and tissue donation. We're exploring recipients as well. So thank you for being our first guest to talk about pediatric loss and and how to not get over it, but how to move forward in a mindful and intentional way. What are some things that you could tell other parents who are experiencing this and may or may not have the opportunity to have their young one be an organ, eye, or tissue donor? How would you advise them how to work through their grief? I think the biggest thing I have learned that has been the most helpful, well, I guess there's two, because as a parent, you feel that your only real responsibility is to keep your kids safe. And when something happens to your child, no matter whether it was an accident or not, you feel like a complete failure and you just do. And it's you're going to feel that way. And it's hard. The thing is, you have to figure out a way to get yourself out of that mindset, because no matter what had happened, no matter if it was a complete rare situation like it was with Riley or if it was an accident, you loved your kid as much as possible. And you had tried to do everything you could to protect them. And sometimes things just happen. And so it's really hard not to fall in this trap where all you can feel is grief and guilt. And I think recognizing that you're feeling that guilt, but that you did the best you could, that you loved them the best you could, that you never wanted anything like this to happen. That's what really matters. Changing your thinking from, I should have stopped it. I should have seen something coming. I should have done something differently to... I can't believe they're gone, but I know I loved them and I know they felt loved and I did the best I could was really helpful to me. Tish Hevel is the co-founder of the Brain Donor Project. She gave us some important information about something that most people don't consider, the need for brain donors. After you've passed, your brain can be studied to identify treatment and cures for all kinds of brain disease. The control brains, the normal undiseased brains, are in very high demand for several reasons right now. It's um, interesting that you ask that because I speak to a lot of patient advocacy groups about the importance of donating one's brain, especially if you have a certain disorder and especially if you've been a part of any studies prior to death because that preclinical research is, is so important. However, Now I'm talking to all those groups saying, please talk to your family and friends too, because we need their support with their non-affected brains. And there's, there's two big reasons. One, they've always been in demand since they're needed for every single study. One control brain can be used in dozens and dozens of studies based on the different parts of the brain that are needed, their demographic match with the other subjects in the study. So They're terribly valuable just in general. But the second and most urgent reason right now is because there's a big study going on called the Brain Initiative, and it was launched during the first Obama administration, giant multi-stakeholder project that will revolutionize the way we learn about the brain by identifying new tools and doing all these crazy things that are going to make us so much smarter about brain research. They're entering a phase of that study where they're going to atlas every single cell of the human brain. For that, they will need a significant supply of these non-diseased, non-affected control brains, and they will need them across 
every demographic axis. So think about that, all, all kinds of, all across the age span, all races and ethnicities, all kinds of these brains. The problem is, no matter how much we work with, say, medical examiner's offices or coroner's offices to make sure that we can ask people about donating a brain when the time comes, my biggest fear is that not enough people know about brain donation, that it will make that ask at a particularly traumatic time too difficult to fully consider. I mean, think about it. You know, in many cases, it could be possible that the first time a person hears about brain donation, what is that, is when they're being asked to consent to donating the brain of a loved one, and they haven't even gotten their arms around the fact that the person is gone. Not only is that cruel, you know, that's just, that's so difficult. But secondly, you get to ask that question once. And, you know, if it's too much, it's too much. My biggest thing right now is to make sure, is to try and make sure that at least people are mildly familiar with the concept, or at least know that it's critical to advancing science before they get asked that question. Paul Cardall is a recording artist with 11 number one hits on Billboard and millions of fans who live in more than 160 nations. He was born with a bad heart, but 11 years ago, he had a heart transplant. He told us about that and how his faith helped him heal. I was born with this thing I didn't choose. I didn't choose to have half a heart and have all these surgeries. It was just given to me, you know. Uh, my parents pay a medical bill so I can go in and be tortured. But I get, I get saved. I get rescued. I get healed. Um, everyone sends me cards. But then out of nowhere, my perfectly healthy friend who could run real fast and play the piano is killed in, in an instant. And I was so devastated. I went into the piano in my parents' living room. I pounded on the piano, angry. And then I hit a couple notes just real gently. And I was like, you know, this is kind of like in the in the hospital, I always hear those beeps. But this is this is this is like heaven. This sounds like these three notes I just hit sound wow, why don't they make that the sound in the hospital? And it was so heavenly, it was a melody. And I started creating and composing. And what that did for me was God gave me the gift of music so I could process life. And we all need something to do that puts us in a mindset that we can think through clearly what is going on and replay everything in our minds. And maybe it's not music. Maybe it's dance. Maybe it's crochet. I don't know. Quilting, uh, running a race, you know, blogging, having a podcast. I don't know. But we all need something to help us. And music, just creating peaceful, calm, relaxing music did that for me. Well, and you're sort of a renaissance man. So you're a phenomenal pianist who utilize your story to share about organ and tissue donation with our community to help them understand not only your story, but you really advocate for people 
being organ and tissue donors? Is this a result of not only your experience, but the experience of your friend, Diane, as well? Because I don't know if he was a organ and tissue donor, but how did this shape your advocacy? I think it shaped it tremendously. I, I was, you know, the heart transplant was always the last resort. I knew as a child, I'm either going to not survive very long or there's going to be more surgeries or eventually a heart transplant. So I was scared like so many people are. The thought of your heart being removed from your chest and then the notion that you're getting the heart of another person. I mean, I care about people. So I'm thinking to myself, how in the world can I take the heart of a child, of, of another person, a brother, a father, a sister? You know, it, it, it blew my mind even thinking about it, but I thought about it for many years. And then when I finally got listed because I was so sick, couldn't do anything. I, I was on the list and I was waiting for the transplant when my younger brother, Brian, who suffered from mental illness, was finishing up his PhD at uh, Arizona State University. When he had an episode, he ended up losing his life. And we were right there in that position, this odd position. Everyone in the community thought, well, let's pray for Paul. And then out of nowhere, my, my brother, like my friend, out of nowhere, my brother is killed. And we had to decide there and then if, if we could donate. And, and it made us, even though I was on the list, really think that through. And of course, we said yes. But uh, that was the day and the moment where I understood what it would be like for this other family whose heart I would be getting. And for the Christian out there, you know, I'm a Christian. My brother told me once that, you know, uh, and this gave me comfort and may give uh, Christians comfort, is that um, because of the, the sacrifice of your donor, you're going to be able to live a little longer. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you're going to live forever. Pastor Joseph Kyles had a rare double lung transplant. It not only helped him to survive, but to thrive in his life's work as a man of God. At the time I had mine, which was about six years ago, it was rare to have to have both. As a matter of fact, initially I was scheduled for one lung, but when they saw the damage that was done to the other lung, they were thinking, okay, well, it doesn't make sense to come back in two or three years and replace the other one. So we may as well go on and replace both lungs. You know what, Miriam, we were, really, really fortunate in the sense that I was only on the list for days instead of months or years. As a matter of fact, when the hospital called me, I thought I was being punked. <laughs> when the lady called, I said, okay, okay, we'll put you up to this. Which one of my friends had, which radio station is this? I am not, and she was laughing and she was like, sir, I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh. This is serious. I am genuinely calling you from Loyola Hospital, please know that we have found an organ for And I was like, I just signed the papers. The ink isn't dry yet. Are you serious? They're like, yes, you need to come on in and we need to get this done. Evidently, your case is of such severity that you need to come on in. And I was, I mean, and I, I, I said to Crystal, I said, Crystal, it's the call. She was, the call? 
I was like, yeah, they'll call. She was like, no, they'll call. I was like, yeah, they'll, they'll call. <laughs> so we did that for about five minutes. And then uh, she's, we both kind of said, let's go do it. Let's do it. Okay, let's go. So, you know, uh, I threw some things in the bag and we were off. So let me ask you a question. Um, if you can think back to before you had the transplant and understanding what your lung capacity was like, what was it like when you woke up with new lungs? Could you notice the difference? Right away. Okay. Tell us about it. Immediately. Before the transplant, uh, I hadn't gotten to the place where I was on oxygen 24-7. After the transplant, I remember waking up and I had a uh, breathing tube in. And I remember trying to pull it out. And the uh, nurse kept saying, no, 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 you can't pull that out. You can't pull that out. And the doctor said, well, if you can breathe, let's, you know, take it out. And they took it out. They actually took it out. And I could breathe. I could, I mean, it was like, like it never, ever happened. Advocates aren't just born, they're self-made. What makes advocates want to help others sometimes begins in a single moment. That was the case for John Kachanik. He put up with incredible pain when he hurt his back lifting weights. He needed an operation to end his suffering and give him a new lease on life. A generous tissue donor made that possible, but it took a while before John realized it. So the doctor told me um, before surgery, he said, we're gonna fuse your spine. And he said, we're gonna use some cadaver stuff. And I said, okay. After I went home from the hospital, I was bored. I was actually watching Oprah. I started going through all the stuff that the hospital sent home in my bag. And I noticed one of the papers said, congratulations, you just received the gift of life through a tissue donation. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? And so I started reading the pamphlet and I told my wife at the time, I said, you know, I've got human tissue inside. And she says, no, I didn't have any idea. And that started my mission. I actually called Allosource who supplied my tissue and they connected me with several wonderful people there. I was actually very upset over the fact that nobody at the hospital told me that this was actually human tissue. Um, I had to find out from reading it in a bag. And I decided at that time that I was going to get my old life back. God blessed me with a lot of patients, a great physical therapist at our local hospital, and the two donors, especially the two donors who donated for me to get back up on my feet. Most people would say that, you know, when you receive an organ, it's life-saving. But receiving tissue is life-saving and life-enhancing all at the same time. And a lot of people don't talk about tissue donation. We don't talk about the life-enhancing and the life-altering and life-saving capabilities that it has. What are some of the things that you've done to help people know how life-altering and life-enhancing tissue donation can be? So I became an advocate for Gift of Hope right away. Um, That came through Allosource. Uh, They connected me with the ladies up at Gift of Hope. I went through speechwriter's class, and then I hit the road. They put me on the road. I went all over the state. Actually, Allosource flew uh, myself and my fiance out to Denver, and I spoke in front of their employees for an employee retreat. They supplied my tissue, 
And then I was able to speak to them and say, look what your tissue did to me. It was put in me and look, I'm living proof that it works. What would you say to people who may be going through a painful episode and don't know about the opportunity for a tissue transplant to encourage them, one, to not go through so much pain, but also to uh, learn more about tissue donation? I do a lot of hospital speaking. Mm -hmm. The nurses who came up said my husband had the same surgery. I didn't know that he had donated tissue until you spoke. With that being said, I met a lot of people who said, how do I get fixed? And I gave them my doctor's name. I probably gave that man 20 people. And I said, go see this guy or go see your guy. Surgery is not always the option, but let them start at the beginning because in the end, if you have to have surgery, I recommend it. My dad, when I told him I was having my spine fees, he said, oh, John, don't do that. He said, you will not be the same. You won't be able to twist or bend or anything like that. And I said, Dad, the doctor said that it's different than back in the day. And he pretty much begged me not to do it. And then after he saw the results before he passed, he was like, you know, that was the right thing for you to do. But to, to guide people to the right direction and, and tell them, it still makes me mad to this day. When I hear of people say, oh, I, I've got cadaver because we don't use that word. I correct them and they're like, yeah, whatever. And I said, did you send a thank you to your donor family? No. Why not? I didn't know I had one. Go back through your hospital stuff and look and see. And I guarantee you that little card sitting there. Fill that card out and just send, just send thank you. That's it. You don't have to write any speech. You don't have to write anything. Just thank the family. The lieutenant governor for the state of Illinois the day that we dedicated the gift of hope in Springfield. She came up to me and she said, you know what? You just made me realize I had the same surgery and I think I've got human uh, donated tissue inside of me as well. She said, I'm going to go back and look. You know, when you have somebody like that that comes up and says to you, you know, or thanks you, and it's like, don't thank me, thank the donors, because the donors are what put me here to be the mechanism to, to spread the word. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Hope. I really hope you enjoyed this best of episode as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. I really want to thank our guests for sharing their stories. We encourage you to start the conversation today about organ, eye, and tissue donation with your loved ones. And please make your wishes known. We really want you to have these conversations now instead of when circumstances are tragic. You can register to become a donor on giftofhope.org. Hello, Tina Montgomery, Supervisor for Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a lot of questions about donation process and how does it work. So we're going to spin the wheel, answer some questions from our loyal audience. So the wheel is going around and around and around, and it has stopped on question number 22. Number 22 says, how do you register your decision to be an organ, eye, and tissue donation? Well, there are several ways you can register your decision to be a deceased organ, eye, and tissue donor in your state. Number one, you can register at your local DMV. You can register in person or online. Just check their local website. You can register on our National Donate Life Registry at registerme.org or you can go to our giftofhope.org and it is there that you will see options to register. 
Your donor registration is a binding legal document of gift. You can remove your registration, update your personal information, or specify more detailed donation preferences at any time. Any adult age 18 and older can register to be an organ, eye, and tissue donor, regardless of age or medical history. 15 to 17-year-olds can register their intent to be organ, eye, and tissue donors in your state or national registry. However, until you are 18 years old, a parent or legal guardian makes the final decision. Both your state donor registry and the National Donate Life Registry are checked by donation professionals at the time of your death. The most recent donor registration is honored as your legal document of gift. That was such an awesome question. Thank you so much for sending it in and keep those questions coming. I want to thank you again for listening to Gleitz Talk Hope. We encourage you to start the conversation today about organ, eye, and tissue donation with your loved ones and make your wishes known. You can learn more about organ and tissue donation or register your decision at giftofhope.org. If you like what you've heard today, we hope that you'll listen again wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Let's Talk Hope was produced by Rivet. And if you'd like to hear more great podcasts, please visit rivet360.com.